Hey guys, it's Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Hey, listen, if you know me, you know that 316 Creative Works exists to partner with artists, businesses, and churches. Uh, one of my good friends is a business guy. It's the Maynard family, and they run a business, and now they're in partnership with us. So that's Precision Door Service. Listen, in case of emergency, I always call Precision Door Service. They are experts in repairing, replacing all your garage doors and overhead doors. They can be reached. They got two numbers. The Indiana side is area code 219-306-8155. Again, 219-306-8155. Now, on the Illinois side, uh, Precision Door Service can be uh, contacted at area code 708-474-6657. And number again is 708-474-6657. You can always get them at precisiongarage-door.com. That's precisiongarage-door.com. Of course, we'll probably have Justin throw a contact card up there for you so you guys can see it if you're watching this. Again, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works introducing you to another member of the family, the business of precision door service. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, this is part two of talking with Juan Ortiz. Again, we like to thank Larry and Sandy for Farmhouse Studios, which is where we're at. Uh, we need to go through our creative producer, who is Esther. Uh, our sound engineer and producer is Justin, and the farmhouse manager is Danielle. So uh, thank those guys that do such a great job keeping everything going and, and the lights on and the bills paid. Uh, again, we're back here, number two, with Juan Juan, again, such an honor to have you here, man. The yeah, studios, it's, it's so it's so great, man. Um, I've read your book, mm -hmm. talked a little bit about some things. Yeah. But we're kind of just now starting to get into the meat of things. Right. You, you, you're the first child of a young woman, yeah. a young man, yeah. San Antonio, Texas. Mexican immigrants. And your dad is a confirmed... Alcoholic, drug addict, came from money but spent it all. Yeah. What did he actually do for finances? Well, actually, for many years, um, he just went from job to job. We, you know, it, it's weird for me because you'll see a lot of immigrants come into this country and live with relatives, and we did that. My my dad. Um, his father, who was wealthy, cut him off. That's where my dad no longer had money. Did you have a relationship with him, your grandfather, your dad? Yeah, dad? that's that's the, the grandparents I le oh. lived with for the first three or four years. So they were life. Christians? Um, faith, yeah, faith they were faith-based uh, Roman Catholics, and, and they were great people, and my aunts and were amazing. Um, but when my dad said, I'm going to get married early and I'm leaving— um, basically, he kind of slapped my grandfather in the face, and yep. he said, "Okay, well, if you're going to do yeah. that, and you're big enough to do it, you're on your own." And my grandfather cut him off financially. Uh, and when he got to the United States, my dad just could not make enough money. We ended up moving in, believe it or not, with another family. And for at least a few years, we just lived with other families. Eventually, here's the scary part: 
Eventually, my dad started driving these big bulldozers, machines that they make roads with. And I mean, and he was really good. Like he could maneuver a, a bulldozer anywhere. But I remember when I came back from Mexico, I was now five years old and I'm living in my house. And that's, I went from living with this solid, loving family. My grandfather dies and my mom and dad take me back, which by the way, I thought were my aunt and uncle. And now I'm living in the United States in, in a house with other people and my dad's a lunatic. By this time, now you're was, in Chicago. You go. You, you moved to the Chicagoland area. No, no we are still, still in, in the Texas. Texas yeah. and, and and my dad was crazy, and I didn't know what was going on. I'm five years old. And my whole life has changed. It went from light to dark, yeah. and literally, my mom, myself, and I, I think at that time there were three or four of us uh, kids. We lived in this man's life. We were trapped in it, and he was dealing drugs. And we were moving all the time. As a matter of fact, I would tell you between five and 10, we moved every six months. No stability in a school, no chance to make friends. And my dad got this job as a bulldozer. And I remember he would drive bulldozer and he's wasted. He's on drugs and drunk. It's, it's crazy. And he would come home around dinner time and my mom would make food for him and he'd get all dressed up. He loved me. Yeah. He'd grab me, call me Juanito, and Who, your your dad. Yeah, he'd call yeah. me. Which you know, Juan is John, so yeah. basic Juanito is Johnny. Little Johnny. Yeah, so Johnny. he would call me little Johnny, and he would kiss me and love me, and then when he's sober, no, all the time. All the time. He just loved me, and you know, when he's sober, he didn't smell as bad because yeah, right. when he was wasted, it was like. But you know, almost every day he'd come home from work. My mom would make him food, and then he'd get all dressed up and he'd go out and party. And he'd leave my mom and us when we were living with others' families. It was fine. But when we finally got an apartment, he would leave my mom and us in that apartment. And he would go out and party. And you're saying, like, what do you mean? He'd go out drinking, dancing. He'd be with other women. And somewhere around 1 in the morning, he'd get home. And he'd wake my mom up and ask her to cook something at 1 in the morning. And then he would love to wake me up, which always bothered my mom. But he'd wake me up and because he was so proud of me, but he was so drunk. And I got to tell you, nine out of ten times, my dad would get angry at my mom. And he'd start yelling at her. And then she would respond. And then he would jump on her and then just start beating her. And then as a kid, I didn't know what to do. So I'd, I'd try to pull him off. And then he'd hit me. Oh, you're on her side. It, it was vicious. And it was continuous. Every single day, people are like one every day. That's how I remember it. Every day. And let's, let's stop it because because the the stories are great. The stories are riveting. The sto stories is what God has written in your testimony, right? But 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 here but here's the thing. In in, I believe that there is some indication in the Bible mm -hmm. that will talk about generational sin, yeah, or ancestral curses. One of those indications is this, where God says in the Ten Commandments, or the very beginning, he says, he says, have no other gods before me, for I am a jealous God. And then he says, punishing the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Yeah. But showing steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So I consider myself blessed. Mm -hmm. My parents were the last of a fourth cursed generation and maybe the first of a thousand blessed generations. So so I'm I'm like second generation blessed yeah. Christian generation. Is the way you were raised, of course it indicated 
who you became as an adult. But but did you sense as you be and this is why you said you didn't think you were going to get married, right? Because it was a dangerous That's right. prospect for you. Uh, was there ever a time that you had to face some of those ancestral demons, some of those generational curses? Ha- have you been uh, pulled toward alcohol, uh, drugs, yeah. uh, anger, any of those things you saw exhibited in your dad? Um, yeah, I mean, as I got older, like into my teen years, because at 10, we moved to Chicago. Okay. And we've been in the Chicagoland area ever, ever since. Yeah. But my dad never stopped dealing drugs until he went to prison. And Wait, so did your dad go to prison on drug-related charges? No, it was for a, a bunch of everything other stuff. else. Oh yeah, my dad had shot people. He had. Oh, so he was. He, uh, but he actually went to prison because my mom and my uh, and and another family member of ours pressed charges uh, um, for sexual assault and abuse and. And that's what really got him behind bars. Now, he had a record, an arm long. So he had been arrested a number of times. Oh, so many times. He'd been in and out of jail. But this was the final straw. And and it stuck? Stuck? Yeah. He got a 25-year prison sentence, and he served 18 of it. And uh, and local? I mean, I'm sure he went to county. The Chicago land area. In Illinois, basically. He just went from prison to prison. But, um, But the point was... As I became a teenager, 13, 14, 15 years old. No, no, no. At, 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 so so at, at 10, your dad goes to prison. When you're, no, no, no. You go to Chicago. You go, you, at no, 10 well, years old, you go to Chicago. We moved to Chicago at 10. My dad didn't go to prison until I graduated from high school at 18. No kidding. So yeah. you were all through high school with your dad. And let me tell you, he kept beating us. When I was older, like when I was 16 or 17, I, I took him on a couple times yeah. thinking, yeah. Oh, I, can, I can finally handle myself. No. The guy was... Insane. Can, he put a gun to my head. He put a gun. He goes, "You think you're tough? You think you're tough?" And pulled the trigger. Thank God there wasn't a bullet in it. He knew that was there wasn't, but oh. it paralyzed me. But anyways, the point was, my dad would smoke cigarettes, drink whiskey right out of a bag, like the bottles in the bag, and he's like in a park and he's smoking and he's smoking weed out in public. And he would always go, "You want to smoke weed with me?" I'm like, "No, Dad, I want nothing to do with it." Why? Why? Come on, man. I'll give you weed. I'll give you anything you want. My dad wanted me to party with him, and I wouldn't do it, Clay. I just wouldn't do it. I, I just was against it. So so you really, you're going to tell me that you genuinely never wrestled with the demons of your dad? Like, like, like drugs was never really a pull to no. you. And I'm, I'm not asking you if you experimented once or twice. I'm saying drugs was never a big pull for you. No, and you know... Uh, uh, alcohol is, or it, drinking. Now, you drink a little bit, right? A little glass of wine here or there, whatever. Yeah, not really, but I, I will have a glass of wine with my wife every once in a while. But the demon or the spirits of alcohol was never a pull to you. Now, here, when I learned about domestic violence, one of the things that many abuse people is they turn to substance abuse. Yeah, of course. They get a, and, a pain management. And But I just never did. I hated it. I stayed away from it. Even some of my friends in high school were like, dude, we got to get some dope from yeah, your dad. Yeah, I'm like, cool. it wouldn't make me angry. I'm like, you go find my dad. I'm not getting you any dope. But it, it was a horrible reputation for me, and I hated it. Because you, you 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 moved to Chicagoland, but you, you were still, you kind of raised in a small community, right? Well, no. When we moved to Chicago, actually, the people that were going to help us were arrested. He went from drug dealers in Texas from drug dealers, to drug dealers, to dealers in dealers. Chicago. And guess what? The guy that was going to help us wasn't there. So literally, the night we got to Chicago, we were homeless. It was February. It was like 10 below zero. And my dad sat in a bar and drank for about four or five hours trying to figure it out. And the bartender said, hey, I don't know. 
that, but there's an abandoned farm right down the road. Nobody lives there. And we literally drove a mile, moved into an abandoned farm with rats, cockroaches, no water, no heat. And, and this is the hardest part of my story that, you know, we lived there three years of our lives. It was tough. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, it's just, I hate that time, you know, that, yeah. that time in your life where you're like, you know, I can talk about it because I'm so far past it, but it's like, how did we, well, you know, we survived because of God's grace. But. Yeah, but back then, how did you like literally survive? And we know that God provides everything, gives everything, but, but what did you do? What did your mom do? For months, we literally, I mean, this was February. For months, we literally just sat in this dark, smelly, scary place. It was terrible. You're you're the oldest of five siblings now, right? um, I don't know if my brother Gabe was born yet. I think he might have. But anyways. 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So you're kind of. And my dad didn't change anything. As a matter of fact, here's the, the problem. My dad said, we're going to go to this farmhouse. We're going to live there for three days, and I'm going to find us a job. Remember, he wanted to succeed. Yeah, yeah he did. He tried. But he says, I'm going, to get us a, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get us a house. We're going to have clothes. You're going to love our life. And he goes, Johnny, do you believe in me? I mean, what do you say? Of course, Dad. You're an abused kid. Yeah. If you say anything different, he beats the crap out of yes, you. And sir. so I just said, yeah, Dad, I love you. I believe in you. But we didn't. We didn't change in three days. We lived in that farmhouse for three years. It was painful. And literally for months, we sat on no furniture. There's no furniture. We sat on wooden floors. And it wasn't even floors. It was the underfloor. Because it was was terrible. It was was an abandoned farmhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, my dad did get a job, started making some money, like sometime in April or May. And then we gradually started fixing the place up. And we garbage picked a bunch of furniture and an old refrigerator and I remember the living room, our curtains were shower curtains that we garbage picked. And when the farmer yeah. found out we were living a, there, eventually the, he was blown away. Yeah. He's like, there's people in there? Right. And then what's ironic is he kind of helped fix the place up a little bit and then start charging us rent. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, if you're going to live in my abandoned farm, I should yeah. at least make a profit from that's it. Right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> He's a capitalist. Um, but, there, but there came a time... That like none of your high school buddies, because you, you eventually moved out of there. And well, it was, a mir- it was a miracle because my mom enrolled us um, in August. Here, here's what's crazy: in August, my mom just took the all the kids. We walked down this really busy four lane highway and found a little school about five miles away. We walked five miles. Now you're starting to sound like my grandma now. Yeah, but Up here, hill, five it, miles. Yeah, away. but this was not funny. This was painful, and we walked into the school and. Imagine that front office when they saw us. We were wearing clothes from February. We're still wearing the same clothes. And we smelled. We were dirty. We had lice. And my mom enrolled us in school, and they put us in school. Can't speak English. And it was painful. But one of the social workers there, because we were probably there about three years, one of the social workers was really nice to us and kind to us. One of the teachers was really good to me. But that social worker actually went to a church, uh, Wheaton Bible Church. And she went back to the church and says, this family needs help. And they literally rescued us. All right, so, this, so, so, so is this your first introduction to the body of Christ? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea the, the who's right. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. Look, 
we grew up Roman Catholic. So when I was three or four or five years old, I went to church on yeah. a regular basis, but I didn't understand it. But from five to 10, we only stepped into a church, a Catholic church yeah. for, you know, an event or something. Yeah, funerals. I, I, I didn't know any, I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know any of that. But when this church saved us and literally this missionary woman came, this is incredible. This missionary woman from this church comes to our farmhouse. Nobody ever came to our farm. She comes and she knocks on the door. And my mom and I and the kids are just sitting around. We're around the stove because it's the only heat we have. And I, my mom goes, get the door. And I get the door. We don't speak English. In Spanish, the woman said, hi, my name is Grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ has sent us to help you. Well, I turned to my mom and go, there's some lady here that knows a guy named Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> because just so you know, there's about a million Jesuses yeah, in right. Mexico. And Jesus is very popular in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. So um, that that family and that church uh, moved us to Wheaton, Illinois. Yeah, blue, blue. Gave us a home. So check this out. So so you know what you just you, what you just said to me. You, what what you just said is I was living in darkness, yep. dirty, in my family of darkness. Yep. There was a knock at the door, and light. And she said, "I'm Grace." Yeah. Her name was Grace. Jesus sent me to talk to you. It's incredible. Come on, man. Now that preaches, right? <laughs> it's in the book. I mean, that's why we're talking with Juan, right? I mean, how how beautiful yeah. is that? Yeah, I can't make this up. It's so then crazy. you guys you guys moved to the Wheaton area. Uh, and our whole life. Far western suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. And this is where you, you planted roots. So you, you kind of got normal then? You went to you went started going to no. church normally, regularly? We did start going to church, but I wouldn't say we were normal. Yeah. My dad didn't change. My dad actually got plugged into church, but he found kind of a front for yeah. his drug dealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put on a suit and tie, read the Bible, but he only did it to criticize and be critical of people. But I didn't. I listened to everything they said, and I wanted to know Jesus. And when you went to church, you finally felt at home. I actually felt like I had hope. Yeah. Like, maybe I don't have to be like this guy. Maybe I could be like Jesus or these other people I'm in church with. So you, so I'm still blown away by the fact that you're, the, the, the sins of your father, right? The, the apples and fall far from the tree, the generational sin, was never an attraction to you. Not to me. No. Uh, now... You went through a high school, fairly normal public public high school kid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, pretty good, decent grades. Had a couple of girlfriends here or there. Sports, it's kind of no girlfriends. Uh, struggled with school tremendously. Yeah. Always in reading classes or special classes, but I did get involved in sports, and sports helped me. In church, uh, oh, I was. I mean, I didn't miss church. You're always. In I love. I was youth group. I was there on Sundays. You, you found people that loved you. Yeah. I mean, because isn't that what? I mean, one of the reasons we go to church, right? One of the reasons we join a bowling league. Uh, one of the one of the reasons we we join any community things because we want so desperately to be known and loved. Yeah. Church is a great place to do that because they also offer guidance, discipline, and 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 the Bible and God along with that. Yeah. But that's why we do those things. So you finally found a place. Yeah. That with a bunch of people that loved you. Yeah. That could know you and love you. Let me, let me say this. Um, I love church because a percentage of the people there were nice to me. Yeah. There were others that they didn't could, know, didn't care. They just want, didn't want to be by me or yeah. sit by me. They looked at me weird. And I'm sure now I realize they were judging me and my family. Well, I mean, but. But there are enough people there going way out of their way to love yeah. me. And I found Jesus' love through it. So, yeah, not everybody that goes to church 
is is necessarily people that believe in it or really living it out. But there were enough people that made a difference. And I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be different. It was my way out of this prison with my father. Because that's what it felt like. I felt like I was trapped in this guy's life that I couldn't get away from. And sports in high school were incredible. In my second book, I talk about um, the high school coach who made a difference in my life. And so it was an escape for me. Yeah. It was a great church. Yeah. yeah. Sports. Get you out of the house. Yeah. Now, did you feel a, a certain responsibility to help take care of your siblings? Uh, all the time. I mean, you were always kind of picking them up and taking care of them and protecting them from dad and, you know, whatever. I, I, I right? hate to admit this, but at 12 years old, my mom was a dishwasher at a local college there. And she worked all the time. Oh, right? she worked every shift she and could get. every dollar she made came home. Yeah, and it was minimum wage, but she was working, and she started as a dishwasher. <laughs> and she told them, my son Juan is 15, and that's when you could start to work. Yeah. But I was only 12. Yeah, right. Thank God I was bigger and I looked 15. But I started working at 12, and guess what? None of that money went to me. No. My mom's money didn't go to her. My dad literally would collect our pay, and then he would spend it. On alcohol, drugs, and you know, so many people think, "Oh, drug dealer, he must have had money Millions. and cars." Yeah. And yeah. no, it's not true. Guys like him, all they end up doing is spending it on alcohol, women, and more drugs. And half the time, they're wasting their money away on all kinds of gambling and stuff. And he goes, "It's not what the the movies portray of like this guy's a drug dealer and he has an amazing life." Yeah, it's not like that at all. Maybe the head guy yeah, does. Not, he's not Scarface. Yeah, not, he's not the top not guy. That's for sure. So, so you, you you finally get through high school, right? And not a great student, but enough to get into college. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Okay. Why? I why barely... do you think that your story would get easy? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I I knew I was dumb. I really believe that I'm a dumb person. Yeah. And I have, by the way, I'm 59 years old and I've struggled with, with that my entire life. Of a feeling of dumbness. Yeah, I'm yeah. just not smart. You know, it's strange because I, I have, you know, <coughs> we talk about kind of rootedness. I, I have a root of shame. I don't know where it is, where it came from, what it is. But at 47, you start kind of uncovering some of these things, right? And 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 some sometimes just learning that you have this inclination, this root, starts to clean that up. It's yeah. not true. I, I am worthy. I am loved. I am. I mean, God created me for purpose, on purpose yeah. to create purpose. Um, but I do have a, a root of shame that yeah. came from. So I'm a very shame based person. So I absolutely understand. For some reason, you always felt dumb. No, I did. I, I felt stupid. I felt dumb. I was always embarrassed. Which, by the way, embarrassment created anger in my life. When I did have anger, it came from embarrassment. Yeah. When people made fun of me or people looked down on me, it was really difficult. Uh, but my youth pastor was like, you're not dumb. You're a smart kid. You're unbelievable. You're talented. You're gifted. And I'm like, uh, okay. And he goes, you need to go to college. And I told him, my dad just went to prison. My senior year after I graduated, a month later, my dad yeah, was Yeah, I was going to say, so, so your dad, so, so you graduated from high school. That summer, your dad went to prison. Absolutely. For, for 18, he served 18 out of a 25-year sentence. Correct. And what's crazy is my mom... As abused as we were, my mom's like, who pressed charges? Did I make a mistake, Johnny? Did I ruin this? Did I ruin our lives? Like, no, mom, you did the right thing. This had to happen. But she goes, how am I going to make it? And here's where it came up. This is the commitment. This is the agreement I made with my mom. Mom, I promise you, 
I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. And when I get home, you and I will live the rest of our lives together. And guess what, mom? I'm going to buy you a house. I'm going to get you a car. You're going to have a great life. And you and I will live the rest of our lives together. That's incredible. Yeah. Let's 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 take a, a quick break there. I know it's a short one, but let's just take a, a quick short break. Because, uh, guys, you're not going to want to miss uh, number three of talking with Juan Ortiz uh, 316 podcast. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works talking about our podcast. Listen, if you like any of this stuff that you saw or you heard, I'm going to give you a couple places where you might find it besides coming in live to the Farmhouse Studios. There's a couple platforms you can find these on. Um, <clears throat> so you can check out Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So for the cheap seats in the back there, let me say this one more time. You can go to Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. You can find it under 316 Podcasts.